11 seconds left in Super Bowl 57, 35, 35 tie. The kick is good, and Kansas City leads 38-35 with eight seconds to go. The Lombardi Trophy has a red and gold reflection. Hello and welcome to another Arrow to Broad podcast, um, Super Bowl preview edition. Um, when we get to this time of year, we like to try and bring in special guests and we've gone for a little bit of a different tack this year. Um, I'm joined by my usual partner in crime, Tomo. Tomo, how are you, man? Oh, I'm very good. How are you? I, I'm very well, thank you. Um, so in past years, we've had journalists. We've done t- the late, great Terrace Paler. We've had Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports. Uh, we've gone with player. We had uh, Derek Johnson, the Chiefs Hall of Fame legend. Uh, and this year we've gone for a little different tack. We've gone down the front office route and we have with us, I, I'm going to go through my Wikipedia notes here from earlier on. Um, he started, well, actually he has a 40 year career in football. He started in Seattle in 1983, spent 16 years there. I think it's fair to say working up through the ranks. Yeah, nod of the head. Yep, nod of the head. Very much so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, was director of player pro personnel there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, became general manager of the New Orleans Saints and helped them to their first playoff win. Uh, was general manager of the Miami Dolphins. Um, worked for 10 years with the what I've written here is the wonderfully vague senior executive title at the Chargers. But I did find um, the Chargers press release from when you joined them. And they said, uh, Randy Mueller joins the Chargers, a senior executive. He will scout the top player prospects through the country and lend his many years of experience to the front office in helping to continue the steady flow of quality players to the Chargers. Uh, So we're joined by Mr. Randy Mueller. How are you, Randy? I'm doing great, guys. That That's a lot of words for saying I've had a lot of jobs. That's all. <laughs> I guess well, if you I, go I'll... back even further in Seattle, I started as a ball boy when I was 15. So <laughs> really, my, my my time in Seattle is long and, and that's home for me. But yeah, I was 20 some years with Seattle before I even left for any other job, but held a lot of titles during that 20 years. But I mean, that just shows progression through like the <laughs> ranks, doesn't it? I mean, well, the, yeah, it shows something. Maybe I just knew where the bones were buried. I don't know. But was, <laughs> pretty soon after a long, that long time, that doesn't happen in the NFL, as you know, to yeah, get yeah. 20 years under one roof. So mm. I just kept my mouth closed and kept doing what I was asked. And pretty soon, 20 years tick away from you, you know. Um, I, Just before we started recording there, I asked you this, but I'm going to ask you this on the record here now. Um, You were with the Chargers up until 2018. The Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes in 2017. Yeah. You scouted Patrick Mahomes. What did you think of him in your scouting process? I remember this, and I had gone to Lubbock that year to look at the film and to study him. And we weren't necessarily in the quarterback market at that time. Philip Rivers was our quarterback. So, uh, But then I went and saw him live, and I think this was his last college game. They played – I forget who they were playing, but they were playing in, in Dallas in uh, – Jerry World, as we call it, the Cowboy Stadium. And I remember walking away from that game, Neil, saying, wow, I mean, this kid, I think he had like 350 yards at halftime. Um, in, in the scouting world, this guy was dropping bombs down smokestacks that I didn't think was possible from a long ways away. I mean, it was an, it was one of the better 
really, uh, it was one of the best games I'd ever seen a quarterback play in all my years of, of scouting players. So I was impressed. There's no doubt about that. I was shocked to find out when I got back to our office that we didn't necessarily have him in the top 10, but I pushed back really? none because I knew we weren't going to draft a quarterback. But obviously Andy Reid saw something he liked in Brett Veach sure. Because we traded up from what were we about 22, yeah. somewhere around there, yep. up to number 10. Yeah. Um, that's interesting because Philip Rivers was coming towards the end of his career there, wasn't he? Because they drafted Herbert in 2020, I think it was. Yeah. We were trying to get the Chargers to draft a quarterback, we as in the scouts, for three or four years. And we had gone through hiring some first-time coaches, Neil, at the time, and and we they always felt like we needed something else more pressing, right? So they didn't want mm-hmm. to use one of our top picks on a quarterback who may not play for a couple of years. But as we all know, that's probably the best way to find a quarterback is when yeah. you're not looking for one, you know? So it, well, it didn't work look out what happened with us. Patrick. Yeah, that's right. Um, and and yeah. Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. And anytime you draft one of these guys and you're able to sit them for a couple of years, I think that the benefits are clear. Yeah, because you ended up taking Mike Williams in that draft because you were picking at yep. seven, I think it was. Um, yep. I, I, I can understand the weapons for Philip Rivers at the time. Um, but man, do, does it kind of give you a little tinge of regret that you weren't able to push them? Um, no, not necessarily. I, I don't. In, in some cases, if I had a really strong gut feeling about something, I could make my intentions known and, and push. I didn't do it with Philip in this case because, I mean, I mean with uh, Patrick in this case, because I could definitely buy the, the theory of we need other help just as much, if not more. And it's hard to go against your coach when he's looking to win right now, not necessarily to develop a player in two or three years from now. But again, credit to Andy Reid, credit to the Chiefs for having the foresight to to do something like that and and then sit on him for at least a year. Randy, could, when could it, you when say, it, oh, go on. Sorry, sorry, when it comes to looking at quarterbacks in that situation, in that draft, there was three guys, Trubisky, Mahomes and Sean Watson. Watson. How did you stack those guys up when you're not necessarily looking for a quarterback? Is it, oh, he could he has the potential to raise the bar or is it we've got these three guys we're not really looking, but we've done due diligence anyway. Who was the third guy? I heard you say Trubisky. I don't recall the uh, third name. Uh, Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. Watson, yeah. Oh, Watson, yes, yes. I, w- I think in our case, that year with the Chargers, we had Watson first, Mahomes second, Trubisky third. But we had them all kind of mid-first round-ish, so to speak. Um, mm. And so none of them, you know, we hoped quarterbacks would get picked in front of us at six because then that would push somebody else down to us. And, Again, we we weren't in the quarterback market per se, but I guess the the facts are you should always be in the quarterback market, right? When you if say you haven't got the guy, yeah. When when you say uh, mid first round pick, are you talking from the general manager perspective where you stack guys up where like as a ranking, or is that where you expected them to go? Because obviously quarterbacks tend to get pushed up to the top. Yeah. We would never stack a board based on where we expect them to go. It would always be done on, it, let's just say mid-round was 15 or 16. We had 14 better players in our mind for us above them on the board. So that's how we had them stacked. If I remember right, I don't think any of those guys were um, were top 10 per se. But again, our needs were different. Our team yeah. was built different. 
all these other factors, you know, factor in. There were a lot of other teams that were in the same boat. Obviously, now when you look back, and, and I think we would all agree, probably the best to ever play, you'd like to say, hey, we have some regret. We should have drafted him. Well, that's easier said than done when you have needs and other things going on within your own team building aspect. Could you envisage what he's done when you're watching him? Could you have seen a path to the like six AFC championships, four out of five Super Bowls, the performances he's put in? Like, it, was that yeah. in any way clear? I don't think anybody would have foreseen the type of production and the success he's had now. But I'll say this, the skills were evident. The, the crazy arm angles, the ability to make all the throws. Like I mentioned, the one game that I was at live, I mean, he was making throws that reminded me of, well, we used to say that about Kurt Warner when he would fit balls in windows that weren't hittable, you know, and he could still throw it in there. And that's what Patrick did then. He was a little rough and raw and kind of like an unbridled athlete, you know, that you, you're going to have to dial him back a little bit because, as you know, even today, he'll try some crazy things that, most of, most quarterbacks who play the game, you'd say, whoa, whoa, stop. That's enough. We don't need that anymore. But then, oh, yeah, good throw. When it's Patrick yeah. and it works yeah. out and it's <laughs> nine out of ten times in your favor, you say, oh, OK, I get it. You know. Yeah. Um, kind of going back to the, the general manager's roles that you've had. Um, mm-hmm. When you get to this kind of time of season, looking at Chiefs and the 49ers, would the general managers kind of be able to enjoy the Super Bowl and enjoy the run up to the Super Bowl? Or are they already kind of focused on next year and the preparation for next season? I'll be honest. I think that and, and I have not taken a team to a Super Bowl, but I've taken them deep into the playoffs. And I always had in the back of my mind, man, we're falling behind everybody else. We're, we're yes. killing ourselves here. Mm-hmm. I got too much things I need to worry about for next year. So, you know, that's a little bit of a reach. But I guarantee you. These Super Bowl GMs have one eye on the future for sure and have already met with scouts and made plans for free agency, which is going to start mid-March. And before you can even finalize that, you've got to know where your draft depth is going to be. And so you've had meetings about next year already. So maybe a few days this week, uh, you know, as we get, you know, three days away from the Super Bowl, maybe you can enjoy it a little bit once you get to the city. Um, but it's been all business for these guys throughout, and they have a process and a system in place that they work the calendar on, regardless of if they're still playing or not. I remember this, and this is an example of that. We lost when I was in New Orleans one year in the playoffs in Minnesota, and it was the second round of the playoffs, I believe. So it was a divisional game, and we lost. And on the way home on the plane that night, I looked around the plane, and everybody's lights were out, and, and people were sleeping, and I didn't consciously even realize realize this I was the only guy with a light on and I was making a list on a napkin as to what we needed to do tomorrow to get ready for next year and that included team needs it included topics to discuss with the head coach the next morning so you don't have a lot of downtime maybe it was just my pea brain I needed to get rolling right away but (laughs) they don't they don't they're not patting each other on the back I can tell you that Mm. I was just gonna say when it when it comes to a, a game those big games where you're that week as a gm when when is your work kind of done like do you how how much impact do you have on that game in terms of with the players with the head coach what's your role obviously you talk about the personnel side of things but in that specific week what what is a gm's role going into a game like this well it's pretty routine to be honest with you that that monday and tuesday early in the week and 
this is the case for really any game, whether it's regular season or playoff. You spend Monday and Tuesday kind of in the loop on all the medical stuff in case you have to tweak your roster. So you may have some tryouts on a Tuesday, some guys flying into town to look at for that week. You may be considering, uh, you, you definitely will have multiple meetings every day with the trainer and where the doctors are. And so you'll know exactly if we're going to make roster changes, it's usually done on Monday and Tuesday. And then Wednesday is a little better, but you're kind of in tune with the coaches. And I would spend time in the meetings with the players to kind of get a, a little flavor for the game plan. What we were going to ask our guys to do that week is that game plan starts to get installed on Wednesday. But to be honest, by Thursday or Friday, the GM's role is simple. You just have to support the guys you have, be there in case anything goes crazy. During the regular season, that would be when I would hit maybe a couple schools to do some scouting, to, to actually leave town for a couple of days, um, and then come back to town either Friday night or Saturday after a college game. Um, in the playoffs, uh, the college seasons are over for the most part, so you don't leave town as much. Um, but you're going to be around kind of helping managing your team. And you would be shocked at how many things come up weekly on a Thursday or Friday that, you know, you think would never happen to adults. <laughs> but there's about 80 of us in one building. Uh, and and believe it or not, when there's 80 adults, something goes haywire more times than not. So you're putting out some kind of fire sometime late in the week. That's for sure. Uh, you just made me think of the news report earlier in the week that some NFL player had been bitten by a coyote in Las Vegas. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So if I, I messaged you this the other day and you answered it, but for our listeners, if you go deep in the playoffs, if you get to the Super Bowl, does that change your thinking about next season? Because we we've watched the Chiefs kind of flounder a bit on offense through the course of the season particularly with the wide receivers and yet here we are doing the Super Bowl preview and they've looked good well above average in the playoffs let's say right does that then change what you think you might need next year or is that kind of fixed in your head already from the the whole season's kind of perspective well I think the the amount of the body of work matters and you've got at this point, 20 games in under your belt of kind of evaluating your own team, uh, really coming up with a plan as to how you're going to address any weaknesses or strengths for that matter, you know, like I said, in free agency or in the draft. But having said that, there's things that can happen on Sunday in your mind that can maybe make what you thought it was a number one weakness. Maybe that becomes only your number two or number three weakness, because as we all know, we want guys that step up in the biggest of times. And so you can't just disregard playoffs, productivity, how guys are when the lights are brightest. Um, You have to factor that in. So I would say you're probably 70 percent there on what you need for uh, uh, to do for the next year. But there's 30 percent of your mind that's still open that can be changed as to how our vision is going forward with regard to tweaking our team. I think that happened in the Super Bowl, though. We had Kadarius Toney and Sky Moore scoring touchdowns in the Super Bowl against the Eagles, we go into this year thinking, oh, it might be better than what we thought. And then now we're in the same situation. But I just wanted to ask you, Randy, with kind of the wide receiver, because I think the Chiefs, I think most of us fans are kind of looking the wide receiver way with how this season's gone, no matter what happens in the Super Bowl. But with the contracts kind of booming at the wide receiver position, do you think there'll be a rebalancing there with, with how good rookies are coming out of college now? And, 
if you were KC, would you be looking at free agency where you've got to pay more, but it's more proven? Or would you be looking at the draft or is it just a, a both situation? Well, I think it's more of a, for me at least, obviously the, the financials matter. They factor in as to the investment you're going to have to make to acquire a player. I get that part. But I think if I were the Chiefs, my criteria for what I want in receivers might change a little bit. You mentioned Sky Moore. You mentioned Tony. These guys are there for one reason, because they are fast. Both of them can really run. And maybe my criteria changes to where I'm not quite looking for as explosive unless it comes with some other characteristics, like he can catch, like he can get away from people, <laughs> like he can actually re- read coverage on the same page, you know, with, with the quarterback. So my criteria might change uh, as from year to year, depending on the skill sets that we're missing. I don't think it's any secret that the Chiefs still need to find uh, a skill set that works with regard to Patrick in that I don't think Travis Kelsey is going to play forever. So you're going to find probably another receiver or two that can kind of fill some of those voids uh, that where Tony let us down during the season or even Valdez Scantling during the season. There's still some consistency probably jumps up the, the criteria chart, uh, not only consistency, but like we kind of made fun about catching with more consistency. So all those things have to have to be kind of revamped. I, I, I don't know that the, the, the speed that Tony brings or that Sky Moore brings can even factor in because if you can't catch, it's right a long foul ball, right? It is what it is. Yeah. So just my opinion. Um, yeah, that, that's interesting. So when you're scouting wide receivers, how difficult is it to take like the the intangibles of the concentration and the focus, which appears like MVS, for example, and Kadarius Tony to a degree, seem to be lacking? Can, can you, if you're watching wide receivers, are you kind of focusing on the little things or are you looking more kind of bigger picture at the whole product of what he's producing? I think you have to do both. And, and I'll say this, I scouted both those guys in college. I'll be honest with you, Scantling was the same way at South Florida. He kind of was an inconsistent catcher. Sky Moore was a guy that could really run fast, but go in different directions. And and he's a smaller frame guy. So I got news for you. They cover you in the NFL too. And so you have to be able to catch when you're covered. That means small guys struggle to catch and make contested catches. And so these guys had some issues uh, that I think were identifiable way back when. Now, you hope you can develop them, but I don't know about, in Moore's case, he's not going to get any bigger at, at this point. I mean, he's a full-grown adult. Um, Scanley, you know, he, he was, like I said, inconsistent in Green Bay as well. But I think what, what the Chiefs probably saw was, here's an upgrade from where we were or where we are. And so your own skill set determines what's an upgrade or what's not. So, But, hey, we're, it's not an exact science. We all look at these guys differently. I mean, Brett Veach could look at these guys and tell you different things than Randy could look at these and tell you different things. So we all see it through a little different prism. But I'll say this, that the team builders themselves, for example, Andy Reid and Brett Veach and their staff, they know what they need more than you, me. And we don't know. We think we know, but we really don't because they're there every day. They know these players. Uh, and I think that's where the disconnect comes with a lot of prognosticators is they don't really know these teams like the people that are there every day. So so what they think they know is it's not really what uh, is paralleled 
to the to the vision of the guys making the decision. So when you're GM, um, let's say at the start of the season, uh, even up to the trade deadline, the clamor for the Chiefs to sign Hopkins um, was loud. Let's say, yep. are you able to filter that out as a GM and just go, this is like I, I have my path. And I'm not interested in kind of what's being spoken about in the media. I don't need to explain why I'm going down my path because you don't really hear from the GMs that much. Mm-hmm. Is it just a case of this is my path and I'm going to stick to it because I'm I have the courage of my convictions to say I'm right? Yeah, I would say just using my own experience. I don't know how other guys do it, but my answer to that would be yes. I would purposely tune out as much as I could, thinking that. I don't know if Joe Fan is going to know what I know, for one thing, yeah. about what, what we need, and two, how to identify it and then acquire it. So, for example, in, in any draft, and then I was in charge of a lot of drafts over my career, I would specifically, for the month before the draft, not watch TV. I don't want to get ESPN's version, God bless Mel Kuyper, but I don't care. <laughs> I, I don't care any of these. Anybody could have any idea or opinions they want. I'm not going to let it affect me. And maybe it was just me, but I would then take the information for what it's worth, but then have to debunk it in my own mind. So I would spend all my time debunking some crazy idea. Well, I just can't. There's not enough hours in a day. And, and again, maybe it's my lack of intellect. I just couldn't juggle that many ideas and opinions in my own mind. So I'm going to have conviction with what I think I know, and I'm going to stay the path. Am I going to be right all the time? No. But don't forget, I've also got people in my building that I... I'm expecting to step up or to push back if they don't like the direction we're going either. So I got to tune out the noise from outside the building and keep it to what I would hope would be a dull roar inside. And I can deal with that because, again, the input I'm getting from the people in the building, they also know the criteria that we're looking for and what we're going to do with this skill set, per se. So when when you make kind of. Um, gambles isn't quite there. Right. I've got gambles written down here, but d- let's say decisions on players, yeah. and you say, right, this is the path I'm going down, and it doesn't work out. Um, how much patience? Because you're always looking at your roster, going, these young players are going to improve. Your your Sky Moore, he's only coming into his second year. He'll improve. Kadarius Tony's coming into his third year. He'll improve. And then you, over the course of that season, you don't see the improvement. How? patient can you afford to be well apparently when you have pat mahomes at quarterback you can be really <laughs> the rest of us didn't have that luxury okay yes, so yeah. our back in the real world really, yeah we're in the real world we got to get better fast and we can't depend on the quarterback to make them better so i, I don't know i think th- there's reasons why certain players develop sooner i don't think they get all the blame if they don't a lot of that comes down to teaching and coaching and and the environment that's around them um, I definitely would would feel disappointment, though. But I'll say this as well. If, if you keep what's the definition of insanity, they keep doing the same thing over and over and expect a different result. As it comes a time when maybe it's two years. I don't know. But if it's the same, I got news for you. I'm not going to go a third route. I'm going to change lanes and, and we're going to find a different option that we can develop at a more ready, readily pace. That's for sure. I think that's the point we're at at Sky Moore on this podcast, to be totally honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to be messing up with you guys as players, but those are my feelings as well. So. No, I, yeah. I think you're probably pretty in line with yeah. where we are. I just don't, I, I keep going back to, I don't see what he excels at. Like, 
right. you, you look at receivers and I'd like to see a trait where I can go, okay, he is really good at this. Um, he's really fast or he's really agile or he can catch really well or he jumps really high or whatever. But I want to be able to see something tangible that I can say he does better than other people. And I just right. don't see that with Sky Moore. I don't see what it is that he does better than anyone else, really. Right. Well, I agree with you. And, and that's after two years. But I'll say mm. this on the run up to his year's draft. Uh, I do know here's what he was good at. He could run fast straight ahead. And he could stretch the field. And my always my comeback to to guys like that is even if you never throw them the ball, they have to defend you different because he's going to stretch deep and they got to run with him and they got to be aware of him. But sometimes when they play those guys in the slot, they don't get to do that. That's more of an outside trait where you can stretch the field from the outside. And he struggled to find that. And the other thing is because he's a smaller frame guy, they can get jammed. They can get pressed at the line of scrimmage. And so not to get too technical on football terms, but it's harder for small guys to get off man-to-man press coverage. And then, like I said, they do cover you. So you've got to be able to catch when you're covered in the NFL, and, and it's just not his strength. So there were a couple traits that I that I like coming out too, um, but I'm with you. I don't think they've developed yet for sure. I wonder how much longer they'll give him. Yeah. I hope it's not too much longer. Um, so... I suppose we've been talking 25 minutes and we haven't mentioned the Super Bowl yet, so we probably kind of should. Um, the Having watched the season and watched the Chiefs this season, there weren't too many times where I felt we were a Super Bowl contender. And then we get to Christmas Day and we lose at home to the Raiders in spectacularly bad fashion. And you just look at it and go, like, there's no way. But then we get to the playoffs and it's like they flick a switch and I've gotten written down here experience and character how how far can that how how much can you value that as a GM and how can you judge it because the Chiefs seem to have it in bucket loads and how difficult is it to obtain that well I think it's it's rare that you can flick a switch for sure but I do think and and I think you guys would agree the, the focus of Pat Mahomes the last three, four weeks has been maybe as good as I've ever seen it in all the years he's played. So I, having played the position myself, I had weeks where I maybe, you know, wasn't as focused and wasn't as in tune with what the exact details of what I needed to do. He clearly is in on every detail now and is as focused and sharp mentally uh, as I've ever seen him. So Maybe it's it's as simple as him getting on the same page with everybody. And we have blamed the receivers a lot, but maybe Pat wasn't in tune uh, as finely as he is now either. So um, I think for them, if I had to put my finger on a couple things, one is the offensive line has gotten better. The offensive line, in my opinion, struggled the first third of the season. But Andy did a great job. The group did a good job of developing those guys. Um, they've decided that they have to run the ball to be effective. And I know that kills Andy because he doesn't want to call 10 running plays. I know that for a fact. <laughs> so he's going to throw it as yeah. much as he can, but he's understood and, and he's always understood, but to go back to, to Pacheco's numbers, what he's put up takes a different, takes their offense to a different level. And I think they all understand that, but the way, and I'm going to credit Patrick, the way he has now got those receivers, at least on the same page with him, because let's face it, they all have to read coverage on every snap. They all have to 
their system is based on what the defense does. It's not as simple as calling a play, running it, and going in the huddle and calling another play next next down. That's not the way it works. When they snap the ball, everything, all bets are off. So receivers have to see exactly what Patrick's seeing. So the level of, of being on the same page is ratcheted way up. And I think sometimes when the focus has not been where we all hoped it would be, we're all human, they've, they've disconnected uh, Patrick, the receivers. And then when you don't run the ball, it kind of looks bad in all phases, but they've all got it dialed in now. So I, I think it's simple to say they flicked the switch. I think it's evolved into gotten better, gotten better, gotten better to now it's pretty dang good. So they, they've gotten there, but I don't think it's just been a, a flick of the switch that's got them there. I, th- I think they've partly they've refined how they're approaching things so that they've reduced the targets for the other guys and they've increased Rashi Rice, Travis, mm-hmm. Scott, you know, focus on what you're good at, do what you're good at. Um, yeah. They've kind of um, they've channeled that more. How does that match up against the 49ers then and their defense? Because their defense has um, a strong reputation but has it actually played that way this season? Because from what I hear from various pundits this week, the answer to that is possibly not. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think they have played up to their potential. But I'll say this, especially in the secondary, and we're talking about the 49ers, I don't know if it's ever been great. Um, mm-hmm. I understand what they've done. They've made a lot of progress on their defense with their front, especially. And when their front can't get to the path, Sir, I find that their secondary has been exposed. And that's happened for my money several times during the season. And it's happened in the playoffs. Fortunately for them, Purdy has gotten hot at the right time and he's made enough plays to, to pull games out and take Kyle Shanahan's offense really to another level. That No quarterback that they've had in this system, say, except maybe Matt Ryan in Atlanta for a couple of years under Kyle, has been able to do this. But I think their defense is suspect, and I think that matches up well for the Chiefs. I think they're going to be able to throw the ball. Um, now, they may have to take some uh, intentional runs early on to kind of slow down the pass rush. But if they can protect, I think Pat Mahomes is going to have a big day because I don't see the coverage uh, unit in the back end of the 49ers being special at all. In in big games like this, is oh, Super Bowl as big as you can get, but you tend to take quarterback – and the best quarterback and the best defense. Do you think the Chiefs have got both of them? I do. I, I, I've said to, to my people here all week long, I think the wrong team's favorite. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. I, couldn't why. I couldn't understand why. I couldn't understand why. I mean, I'm not a betting guy, but I would have jumped on it. I'm getting Pat Mahomes at two and a half points. Are you kidding me? This is messed still up. Still two and a half so, points now. Yeah, I know in some places. So I don't, I, yeah. I guess... And we always say Vegas always it gets it right, but I don't know if they get it right. I mean, I think the Kansas City has, you know, is playing better right now, and I think uh, has more experience, has more in a lot of areas on both sides of the ball than what I've seen from the 49ers. Now, maybe maybe the 49ers are capable of more, and that's what the odds makers are betting on. I don't know, but I, I just but think the-, the Chiefs are the better team right now. The, the 49ers, I've got written here, limped through the playoffs. Like, yeah, the Packers sure. game, they were unconvincing on a week's yeah. rest. Mm-hmm. The Lions game, I mean, you can credit them for coming back, but you shouldn't have found yourself in that position in the first place. Like, is there any value to having the experience of 
coming back. We saw the Chiefs do it when they got, in fact, when they got to the 49ers Super Bowl and we beat the Texans and we beat uh, the Titans coming back from double digits and we came back from double digits against the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Is there some value to having that experience to know we can do this or would you rather just not be in that position in the first place? Well, I, I think, yeah, there's always confidence that can be built from having success. Um, I don't think in this case that their win over Detroit was in fact a win and you can't take that away from them. But I thought Detroit had as much to do with losing that game as the 49ers did with winning it. And that's the thing for me. I mean, Andy Reid's not going to turn down a chance to go up by three scores. He's not going to run the ball inside the five yard line when, and have to use a timeout when there's inside of a minute to go. So I just think Detroit shot themselves in the foot and had they not made two or three critical coaching errors in my opinion, I think we'd be probably sitting here talking about the Chiefs playing the Lions. That comes down to experience as well, I feel. I feel like Andy was criticised for some of his in-game decisions, but just from the time of watching him in, in Kansas City, you can see he's got so much better with those things. Yeah. Like, Is that just the Lions in, in their biggest moment just faltering slightly? Because I don't think the Chiefs make the same mistake, as you said. No, I don't think they would either. I think... It, in Detroit, Dan Campbell is learning the job still. Dan's a former player who played on passion and energy. And to me, when you make decisions like he did in that game, it's almost like he's still a player. I would have wanted to have a guy standing next to him on the sidelines if I was the GM of Lions grabbing him and saying, no, Dan, we're not doing that. That makes no sense in this world. It might have when you were a tight end playing for Bill Parcells, but that is not what we're going to do here. We have a chance to go up three scores. Or we can just kick a field goal here and not rely on having to get an onside kick to get the ball back because we can stop them and use our, our three timeouts. Those are all basic time management deals. And I guess the part that bothered me most about it was everybody fell in line here media-wise with, oh, that's the way the Lions have been. They've always been aggressive. Mm. That doesn't mean it's right. That's the craziest analogy yeah. I've ever heard. It, it does not make it right because you've been aggressive all year long. You just can keep doing it. That's the that's the, the dumbness of the whole thing. There are times and a place and there are uh, repercussions to these decisions. That was not a time to do what he did. And I'm not speaking in hindsight. I, I was screaming at my TV like everybody was last week. So. As, a, as a GM sat in a box in a game like that, when a decision like that's been made, are you just trying to keep yourself off the screen? <laughs> you just go to the yes. back of the box and keep yourself yes. off the screen. <laughs> I'll tell you one time when I let it get the best of me, when I was the GM of the Saints, and Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys head coach, was our offensive coordinator of the Saints when I was the GM. And there was a plexiglass window between our administrative suite and the coach's suite up in the press box. So it was, you could see, I mean, Mike McCarthy's less than five feet from me and it's a plastic glass, right? And we were <laughs> similar to last week. All we have to do is run the ball and the clock's going to run out. There's like two and a half minutes left in the game. We're up by four. It, as long as we don't do something stupid, we're going to win the game. And he called two or three passes in a row where two of them were incomplete and the clock stopped. And I found my, I, I had in my ear the coach's phones, right? So I could hear the calls. And this is not like me at all. In fact, the guys who were with me, they still kid me about this to this day. I threw my headset down and I beat on that plexiglass wall. And I just said, run the freaking ball. And I just. <laughs> that wasn't the word that, that you used, was it? That was not the word I used. <laughs> and he looked at me like he had seen a ghost because the boss was on the other side of this plexiglass wall, right? 
And he said, whoa, 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 okay, 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 okay. I said, okay, my ass, let's go. You know, and <laughs> it, 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 it just, sometimes you have to bite your tongue, like you said, mm. come on, walk to the back of the suite and, and just yeah. put your head in, in your hands and say, I didn't just see that. <laughs> How do experienced coaches, well, I suppose McCarthy wasn't as experienced then, but I mean, there was a phrase Tomo used the other week about the Bills game when the Bills uh, kind of mismanaged the clock towards the end of the game. And he was saying, like, anyone who plays Madden knows you run the ball, you make the Chiefs burn their timeouts, and yeah. then you kick the field goal. You don't throw three deep incompletions yeah. and then give potentially, even, <laughs> just, even though you missed the field goal, if you'd kicked it, you're still giving Mahomes a minute and 50 seconds and three timeouts yeah. to go downfield. How do experienced coaches because you don't get to be an offensive coordinator in the nfl without having a good degree of experience how do you let yourself get in that mindset yeah sometimes it's sometimes it's you're managing your side of the game right you're managing your offense you and it's all about and kellen moore is a friend of mine the chargers now eagles offensive coordinator this is one that i always get into a debate sticking up for him over because people say it's not complimentary football to continue to try to gain first downs and throw the ball. I think that's when the head coach has to stop and say, wait a second, we are playing to win the game. Like Herm Edwards used to say, we're playing to win the yes. game, not to gain any more yards, not to gain any more statistics. I don't care about that. Everything we do and every action we take is to win the game. And this is what we have to do to win it. Sometimes when you're managing your side, you lose track of the big picture of we were trying to win the game. And it, sometimes it happens. It happens. Seems it's more evident for us if it's an offensive coach. But the head coach has to step in at some point and say, "Well, we're not doing that. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to run the ball three times. I don't care if you have to punt or not. They're going to have to go 84 yards to win. We're not going to give them the ball with two minutes left when it could have been 38 seconds. You know. So common sense debate. has to prevail. I had a debate with uh, a friend of mine who's actually a Ravens fan. And he was saying that the defense was really good for the Ravens in the second half of the AFC Championship game. It was, totally admit that. Do you think there was an element of that with the Chiefs? Just trying not to make a mistake in the second half? Because I am under the opinion that if they'd really have needed to, they could have pushed the envelope and got a few more first downs, but they just wanted to play safe and were content mm -hmm. kicking the ball with the defence, playing the way they were. 100%. I don't think there's any doubt that coaches can do that. I think um, the best coaches do that. They find a way to, without us really knowing, that they're taking the air out of the ball a little bit. They're kind of slowing things down. That enters their mind late in every third quarter, trust me, especially mm -hmm. if they're up by two scores. And now may, that may be an indictment of them, but they're already thinking, what do we got to do to win this game? Well, if I can minimize possessions, they're only going to get it three times. We come up with one stop, we're going to win the game if we, yeah. if we can wind the clock down to a certain level. So that's strategy, right? That is coaching. Yeah. That is how to manage the game. And, and, a lot of these young coaches that are a guru on one side of the ball or the other, they don't understand that. That's why a lot of these going forward on fourth downs and they're backed by analytics now, they're backed by the numbers. Um, I don't know. I want to win the game. So whatever gives us the best chance to win, not necessarily succeed, because the downside is we could lose the game. And, and I, I'm going to take less chances to not lose the game, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's made it me feel a bit better. <laughs> you guys are getting me fired up. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, if, if we've achieved nothing else, we've given Tomo some peace of mind here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for the Super Bowl, 
Is there a key to the game? Because I was kind of thinking about this on the way home. If either team can get up two scores, it's going to make it difficult for the other team because it's going to play into the opposition's strength, be it San Francisco's pass rush if they're ahead and then just hand the ball off to McCaffrey as much as you like. If the Chiefs can get ahead, negate the 49ers pass rush um, and hand off to Pacheco as much as we want. Is... Is there a key for you to kind of a route to victory for both sides? Does one side have a a slightly larger route to victory than the other, do you think? Well, for me, and this is what it comes down to, and this is probably why the odds makers are weighing in where they're at. I think whoever can run the ball is going to win the game because that does everything you just said. That takes pressure off the quarterback. It takes um, pressure off pass rushing you can slow down pass rushing if you can run the ball and i'm not expecting someone to as a team to run for 160 yards but i mean they have to run the ball and it may not be it may not look pretty especially early on but you're going to have to run the ball a little bit and so i think the team that can do that obviously is keeping the other team's offense off the field but it serves so many purposes if you can run the ball especially in a game like this and then it always comes down to turnovers as well right you got to protect the ball and be able to run it and and uh, hopefully, if you ever do get two scores, that's when that coach's mentality kicks in. Is we're going to do what we have to do to win this game, that come hell or high water. Very good. Um, we'll wind because I've taken forty minutes of your time, and I wasn't thinking we were going to be anywhere near as long as this. Would you like to give us a prediction? Are we feeling brave? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I I like the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs. I mean, if I had to bet on the game, I think the Chiefs will win the game. Um, but I've been surprised a lot over my 40 years in the league. Um, we're supposed to know, right? But to be honest with yeah. you, I don't. I know what I think I'll see, but it could change. Yeah. Where they, everybody has a, has a plan to get punched in the face. And so that sometimes <laughs> happens 30 seconds into the game. So you never yeah. know. Somebody gets hurt. Something happens. Somebody gets dinged. They decide to run this play. They've been running for two weeks. Looks great on the chalkboard. Now they run it and it gets blown up. I don't know. I, I favor the Chiefs. I don't know how the game's going to go. Um, I think the Chiefs are going to play to win, and and not that Kyle doesn't. Um, I think Spagnola against Purdy. Um, I don't like that matchup for San Francisco. Uh, I think forty. Or I think the 49ers will struggle at times to throw the ball against what Spagnola is going to do from a pressure standpoint and from a mixed coverage standpoint. So. I guess what I'm saying is I'm, I'm everything I all the reasoning I'm giving you is kind of leaning towards the Chiefs. It is. That's good. I like have that. You, I like that. Have you got any plans for the Super Bowl? Are you, are you going out or are you a more of a stay at home kind of guy watching on the couch? Yeah, I'm definitely going to stay home to watch it. I'm, I'm and maybe you guys are the same way. I don't want to be at a whole bunch of I could never go to a bar where there's a bunch of people and a bunch of stuff going on. I want to watch the game. I want to see what's going on. Yeah. I want to I want to be able to kind of analyze some of the things they're doing and to be honest with you i've got a couple of tv things that i have to do right after the game so i got to keep my wits about me and, and actually watch <laughs> it and, and figure it out to, for some media stuff i've got to do sunday night i'll, I'll be in a bar watching it this week yeah. um <laughs> we're, 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 liverpool meet now yeah we're, <laughs> we've got a meetup in liverpool so we've got a i think we're 29 of us at the moment are meeting wow. in a bar in liverpool and um I mean, it's it's uh, eleven o'clock. It's eleven thirty at night. Um, it's not going to finish till like three thirty. I mean, we did this yeah. in Dublin last year, so we had a. Do we have thirty of us in Dublin last year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really good. Yeah, yeah. so it's somewhere around and thirty the place of is us. Still 
they stay open. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we found well we uh we booked a play as sort of a section in a bar which we knew was showing the whole game but i mean as soon as the final whistle went it was like right out um we didn't get to see the trophy ceremony it was like okay we're done it's 3 30 we want to go home you need to go home um understandable yeah very much so very much so but yeah it's liverpool this year where we're going to meet up in um i'm looking forward to it i I can rewatch the game afterwards and kind of Mm-hmm. soaking yeah. the x's and o's kind of side of it um right i think that'll do us for this evening randy thank you very much for your time that was a fascinating interview um you're welcome back on any time I, I would love to do an off-season podcast with you and just the whole draft process free agency and all that side of things yeah. i'd be fascinated to pick your brains on that um well, but thank you we for coming on yeah we'll work it out I would love that. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I was not expecting it to be this long, but I'm very okay. happy it was. Um, awesome. Listeners, we will be back next week. Hopefully we will be okay. Super Bowl champions. Um, I, I'm I'm feeling too confident because <laughs> everything I everything I keep hearing keeps reinforcing what I was already thinking. Um, so I, I am confident this year, whereas I wasn't last year. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not, but we'll see. But everyone, enjoy the Super Bowl. Hopefully it'll be a great game. Uh, hopefully we win, but we'll see you on the other side next week. Uh, Tomo, thanks for your time as always, brother. Of course, thank you. Randy, thank you very much. This is much appreciated. Uh, and we'll see you on the backside next week. Uh, go Chiefs.